Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us again. Today, we're going to talk about stereotypes. And when I say stereotypes, I'm not talking about the medium you get your music from, like playlists or Spotify or the radio. No, I'm not talking about those types of stereos. What I'm talking about is things like labels. Now, there are times we clarify, classify, discriminate. And by those, if you haven't listened to me in the past, please go back and listen to some of them uh, because I have clarified what I mean by that. Uh, and again, just just to add to the clarification, when I say discriminate, I'm talking about discriminating between, not discriminating of a group or of a people. That being said, when we label, there are uh, there, there are these overarching views that become the norm. So for instance, um, as I was a child, there was the, it was common. Uh, I'm not saying this is right. Uh, I actually don't think it's the right thing to do or, or to say today. Um, but as a kid, this is my reality. When I grew up in my neighborhood, um, among the kids that I socialized with, if you did something dumb, they called you retarded. Now, I'm a therapist. Is that offensive uh, today? Absolutely. Right? You, We shouldn't be running around because being mentally retarded is actually a real scenario that people encounter in their lives. By the way, some of the sweetest people I know uh, were born mentally retarded. Beautiful spirits, beautiful souls. That being said, I grew up having a totally different definition of it. It was a label that was used incorrectly. And I didn't know any better. Um, that being said, I, I got to tell you, I, I wish that I hadn't said it as much as I did, if any. Um, and I can't go back and undo. I can only make sure that I don't do again. So as a therapist, this whole idea of labels is really tough because our job, like my, my role is to assess, diagnose, and treat. So I need to clarify for you guys, when I assess, diagnose, and treat, there are certain things that I do as a therapist because I'm not a big fan of that diagnose portion of my responsibility. Do I do it? Absolutely. And what am I doing it for? If I, if, if you talk to 20 therapists, 19 or 20 will tell you that we diagnose for two reasons and typically only two reasons. Number one, is because insurance won't pay if there's not a diagnosis. That's the main reason we diagnose. If we didn't have to deal with insurance, we probably aren't putting a diagnosis down. But the other reason that we diagnose, in some situations, it helps to clarify for a person what their experience is. Even then, 
if you're, you know, for me at least, and for most of the therapists that I've worked with and known, we are very cautious about our diagnosis, making sure people understand that these labels are not necessarily permanent labels. Matter of fact, most of the labels that we would attribute to a person, we tell them straight up, this is not a lifelong diagnosis. Depression, not lifelong diagnosis. Anxiety, not necessarily a lifelong diagnosis. Some people have elevated anxiety for much of their life. It's true. But we can learn to manage the symptomology in a way that makes us 100% functional in all of our environments. So we tend to, at least I tend to, try not to diagnose unless I have to. For today, though, what I want to look at is big picture stuff and not just therapeutic, but cultural. I want to look at cultural big picture stuff. There are some groups that I have heard about in the last five years or so that I really didn't know anything about until the last couple of years. One, um, BLM, Black Lives Matter. They they started around 2013, I believe. Um, but I didn't really hear much about them until probably four or five years ago. That's something. Like groups do grow and develop, and then some groups will fizzle out, and some groups will maintain. Um, there's another group I want to point at. Antifa. Antifa has been around since, according to their their documents, the 1930s. Uh, around 36 is when it's sort of uh, marked, earmarked as their their beginning. Uh, the Proud Boys since 2016. And the idea of Christian Christian nationalism since the 1770s. I'm saying those things because it's very interesting to me. Look, I, I'm i not going to sit here and tell you I know a lot about any of these things. What I will tell you, though, is they say some stuff about our current culture. And these labels, um, they, they insinuate some automatics, right? When we hear BLM or Antifa, we automatically think violence. When we hear Proud Boys, we automatically think violence. When we hear Christian nationalism now, at least in the last, I don't know, for me, only the last six months, I never even heard of that. Um, I've heard of the concept of nationalism and the idea it's not super far-fetched for me to have put those two things together. That being said, I hadn't heard them together until probably about six months ago. And Christian nationalism has been around since the 1700s. So they are not violent, according to what I'm hearing, but they are very um, forceful in in the idea of uh, a a supreme way of doing things. Um, That's a big deal, because even though they haven't had a, a history of violence, at least nothing that I could find when I did my research, the idea of supremacy is very big deal. That's a very, very big deal and something to pay attention to. 
So what do these labels say about our culture? Look, from my vantage point, having worked with gangs in the past, there's some aspects of each of these groups that sound super like gang or mafia or terrorist related. Again, I'm not saying that's what they are. They seem like that, though. The amount of violence that comes out of them, it, it's reminiscent of gangs, mafia, terrorism. Um, and the th- here's the interesting part. I don't think most people who subscribe to the messages of these things would go to the extremes that the few would. That's an important thing to acknowledge because what it tells me about our culture is people are leaning to the extremes in order to be heard in their message. What are we going to do with that? Well, right now, what we're doing with that is creating more stereotypes. Well, that's not a good, reasonable response, is it? So what are we stereotyping? We're stereotyping things as left or right when we look at politics. The left, here's the stereotype, not saying I agree or, or like this, um, or I'm going to do the same thing with the right side. The left, these are viewpoints of the far left. The use of violence as it's as I'm reading this, Center for Strategic and International Studies. So as I'm reading this, uh, threat of violence by subnational or non-state entities that oppose capitalism, imperialism, colonialism, and focus on environmental or animal rights issues, espouse pro-communist or pro-social beliefs, or support a decentralized socio-political system like anarchism. That's that is the the definition of the far, far left and the label that's being put on it, the stereotype. So I'm trying to, from where I sit, look at this objectively and say, they, the left, the far left, says they're a counter-extremist group. That means they're only extreme because they're responding to extreme. That's interesting. I'll come back to that in a little bit. And violence is the only thing left. They've exhausted all of the other options. That's what's being said. And there are some pieces in there that I want to point out. Anarchy is essentially, it's a chaotic uh, environment. Or a bunch of hidden cultures, hidden communities, right? Because... The strongest, the most armed, the most fit are going to be the ones who percolate to the top. And then there's always going to be this need to tear down anybody that gets to the top. And therefore, there's this constant uh, turnover. That's an interesting concept uh, when you tie that with animal rights and environmental issues. We want to protect the animals. We want to protect the environment by constantly tearing down people. There's a counterintuitive thing there, and I I would have to lean towards, that doesn't make sense to me, that we would have those, those polar opposites saying, 
one and the same. That being said, I'm going to go on and I'm going to talk about the right stuff. And then I'll come back and tell you the therapeutic view of what this says about our culture. The right. It says, I'm going to read it again. Refers to the use or threat of violence by subnational or non-state entities whose goals may include racial, ethnic, or religious supremacy. Opposition to the government authority the end of practices like abortion. And that's a big deal. (laughs) Not the abortion part. Uh, That's a big deal. We all know that's a big deal. I've done some stuff about that. Um, But the, the opposition to government authority, and then we look down at anarchism and opposition to government authority. I mean, we've got two extreme groups saying they don't want people over them. Sounds similar to me. Why that matters? Because the right will say that they are violent when they're violent. They say they're violent because of liberal social welfare. The government is too much in the business of the people. So I'm going to pose this. What did we learn in kindergarten about these stereotypes that I'm I'm giving you? I'm hoping we learned, don't judge a book by its cover. How about stereotypes are hurtful? Or violence isn't the answer? Or maybe two wrongs don't make a right? Let's step into this therapeutically. I got to give a therapeutic viewpoint on this. If I'm looking at the right, I guess I'm coming to the conclusion, you're not better than anybody else, racially, ethnically, or religiously. If you are religiously supreme, when they take your shoes, don't you also hand them your shirt? In other words, hoarding isn't the right answer. You're no more deserving than someone like me. And then I would also have to add this. If we were looking at pure capitalism, then isn't money in place of, of how do I say it? If we were looking at pure capitalism, are we not saying money and power that comes from money is replacing God? I don't know. I'm proposing the question. And I ask that because of these far-right views. How about to the left? This is what I would say as a therapist. Counter-extremism? That's an excuse. Violence isn't necessary. We are social beings. We are looking to belong. We don't have to become violent to fit in. We just don't. We can go about it in a lot of other ways. If communism, full socialism, or anarchy are the goal, then violence is the only way. And doesn't that contradict 
environmental and animal rights. Those are about nonviolence. Don't be violent to the planet. Don't be violent to the animals. What about don't be violent to the people? If you constantly overthrow a person in power, don't you expect that at some point people are going to hide behind other people and try to puppeteer? I think that might actually be going on. Take a look left. Take a look right. These are important concepts because as a therapist, what I do know is that it's very rare that violence is necessary. It's very rare. It's definitely more rare than it's being used right now. There's other ways to go about stuff. And we can start with having a hard conversation. We just have to be strong enough that when a person disagrees with us and we don't like how they went about their disagreement, that we can walk away saying, I'm doing the best that I can. That takes strength. You want real strength? It's not you know, pulling out a gun and shooting people up. No, that's easy. Honestly, that's easy. I spent time in the military. That's easy. You give me you give me an M16 A2 service rifle with a whole bunch of rounds, I can load that thing and start shooting. And that's not hard. So why would we go to the thing that's not hard as our only solution? It's because we're lazy. Sit down, have a conversation, grow some courage, understanding you're going to be right about a bunch of things, you're going to be wrong about a bunch of things, and have the conversations. That's what we need to do from a therapeutic point of view. That's going to require a lot of work for a lot of people. A lot of setting aside of ego. What I also know as a therapist, we don't need the extremes, but we do need balance, which means we do need different viewpoints. We need people different from us involved in the conversation. It's part of the reason I'm irritated by the January 6th committee the different viewpoints are not represented. That makes it annoying, one-sided, obnoxious. We, we need to hear the different viewpoints. Without the different viewpoints, we just have an echo chamber. I'm not interested in that. I can go to Facebook or Instagram or, or one of those social media sites and get an echo chamber. I don't need that from all of my media I don't need it from the January 6th committee. Like, I want to hear the other sides of the story. And as a therapist, I have to encourage people. M matter of fact, I, you probably heard me use the elephant example. I want to feel the elephant's tail, trunk, legs, body. I want to get a better picture. I don't want one vantage point and then this idea that I think I'm right about everything. Because I'm not. Look, I've already 
made a million mistakes in my podcast, I'm sure. And as people point things out, I acknowledge the mistakes. I also acknowledge when I think I got it right and somebody else might be making a mistake, which means if you're going to confront, that's great. Please do. I'm open to it. Also be ready to have the discussion because it's not one-sided. You give me feedback and that's all there is to it. That's the same with the left and the right. We need the left. We need the right. Because without understanding from both vantage points, we miss a big part of the picture. Capitalism is good to a point. Socialism is good to a point. When we can do a little bit of both, we're better. Because there's always going to be that evil. There's always going to be that evil. That the, the people who hoard Right? So if there's pure capitalism and they hoard, you know, billions and billions of dollars, then what? You've got the elite and then everybody else. If you've got a pure socialist or communist environment, you've got the same exact thing the elite and everybody else. And what we have always been in the United States, is a group of middle. We, we can work our way up. We can also fall all the way down. And we do that by a balance of left and right views. As you are exposed to more and more extreme viewpoints, my encouragement, find the middle. We have to find the middle. And as a therapist, I'm doing that all the time. Somebody comes in to me and they say, all right, hey, Jeremiah, you know, uh, I'm really frustrated. My wife is really, really driving me crazy in this way. And I say, okay, so what's your part in that? What? No, she's driving me crazy. No, I know. What's your part in that? The point is what I'm looking for is the middle ground. Where you and your wife meet, there's a middle ground. Where the left and the right meet is a middle ground. Right now, we're creating battle lines instead of middle ground. That's not long-term going to be a good option. We know how that turns out. It turns out with more and more extremes because people don't see any other option. It turned out in, uh, I don't know, probably a thousand civil wars. Look at all the nations over time. Look, I'm not saying that sometimes we th those things aren't important. Your views are important. But extreme behaviors that result in violence are rarely important. Very rarely. And stereotypes only lead in the direction of that kind of violence. So we've got to slow down the labels. All rights are racist. All lefts are mar Marxists. It's not true. You know, that might be a part of the framework for both of those sides. But it's not all true. 
We have to be able to hear the other parts. I know right people who are not racist, who do not believe they're religiously supreme or ethnically supreme. I know people on the left who are not anarchists, do not believe communism is the way. So how is it that I know people on the left who don't fit the stereotype and people on the right who don't fit the stereotype? It's pretty easy. We get to know people for who they are, understand where they're coming from, and understand that they may slant in a direction because they know that we need this or we need that. But at the end of the day, most of us fall somewhere in between. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and let you think more about stereotypes, the stereotypes that you have about yourself and about others, about your politics, your, your stereotypes about teams and sports, your stereotypes about the different uh, TV shows that exist. Look, we put stereotypes on all kinds of stuff. This station does more of this. This station does more of that. Well, maybe. Or maybe you're just labeling something unnecessarily. And sometimes labels are important, so I'm not telling you don't label. But I'm telling you, be very careful. Because stereotypes, like we learned in kindergarten, they can be hurtful. And two wrongs will never make a right. Share this with your friends, your family. Let people know what we're talking about here. I'm trying to have hard conversations so that you can grow. All right, I'm using them as opportunities for me to grow as well. Please share this stuff. Get this word out there. Let people know what we're talking about. And have a hard conversation with somebody who's like you and not like you. Have a great day.